Now, it's often said, isn't it, that um, for the church to be truly effective, for the church to witness properly uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to be different, that we are to be set apart, different to our world, different to our society. Well, this morning, uh, I want us to consider uh, personal relationships. We're going to consider and think about how uh, people relate to one another and isn't that where the rubber hits the road? Just think about uh, the way that people treat each other in society uh, today. Think about the injustices that we have been hearing about all this week. Think about the venom that flows through so much of social media. Think about the violence that people are willing to do to their fellow man. Is it not the case that here in our personal relationships, that the Christian ought to stand out the most. Isn't it here in our personal relationships and the way that we treat each other, isn't it here that we have a most wonderful opportunity to shine in the darkness and to shine for Christ? But hang on a second. I, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. We have not even read the word of God. So let me do this. Let me uh, hand over just now uh, to Callum, one of our deacons. Callum is going to read uh, this portion of scripture this morning. We're going to read 1 Peter 1 from verse 22. And I would ask you actually, before I hand over to Callum, can you just, as Callum reads this, can you just look out for an action? That's going to be our first heading, an action. See what it might be. So first, uh, Peter 1 verse 22, over to you, Callum. Take it away. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, now, if you've been joining us in the last few weeks, I think you'll probably be able to see what Peter is doing in this section of scripture. Can you? Like, uh, you remember in verses 1 to 12, he has set out something, just the, the glories of the gospel, hasn't he? Do you remember that? You know, we've been chosen by God, born again to this living hope and so forth. That was that long section, 1 to 12. Then what happened? Remember in verse 13, he began to speak about how we should live in response to that gospel. So do you see what he's doing here? I think about it like this. What Peter's doing is he's going from the vertical applications to horizontal applications. Does that make any sense? A vertical applications to horizontal. Think about it. Where before he was telling us how to live in light of the gospel in relation to God. Be holy. Set your hope on Christ. Remember, in relation to God. Now what is he doing? Coming to this section, he's showing us how to live in light of the gospel 
in relation to other people. It does make sense, doesn't it? There are vertical applications to horizontal applications. Now, obvious thing for me to say to you is that this kind of revolves around love, doesn't it? That was the action. Love other people, love others. But that is a little bit vague, <laughs> isn't it? Love other people, great. Yeah, wonderful. Very vague. So how about this? Let's just unpack this a little bit. Let me give you a few considerations. Consider these things. Okay, first of all, consider the object of this love. See, you might not think of yourself as a Greek scholar, right? But you know more Greek than you think you do. Okay, because get this, in verse 22, Peter uses a word in Greek that you definitely know. Okay, so in verse 22, uh, Peter uses the word Philadelphia. Okay, see, you're a Greek scholar. You didn't know it, but you are. Philadelphia. Okay, so what does that mean? Is that about cheesesteaks? Or is that about Rocky movies? No. Philadelphia is the idea of brotherly love. Okay, the idea of us are familial, brotherly love. And do you see how important that is to our understanding? This morning of First Peter, God is not calling uh, from uh, to you for a love for your fellow man. It's not like that. Here, God is calling for from you a love for your fellow believer, a love for the people in your church, a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's Philadelphia. You see? Okay, another consideration. Consider the descriptions or the, the qualifiers of, of this love. Just just put it up. Look at verse 22 again. Look at it. So do you see it? This love for Christians is to be, oh, what are the words? Look, sincere, eh, earnest, a love from a pure heart. Man, isn't that challenging? Because you think about it, isn't it true that we in the contemporary church, we are adept at faking it? Only adept masters of pretense. We're really good at pretending that we love all the people under the City Presbyterian Church and all our other brothers. Oh, we're good at pretending. But do we really do it? We well, see what God's calling for. God wants to see a fervent love <laughs> for our fellow Christians. An authentic love. A genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've got the object. We've got descriptions. But then I think also we've got to think about the context. Because I wonder, did you did you tune in last Sunday? Some of you did, right? I hope you tuned in. Do you remember how we described the recipients of First Peter? Do you remember what we said about them? That these Christians were suffering Christians. You surely remember that, right? They're, they're kind of marginalised, ostracised from society. They were really beginning to suffer. And isn't that really interesting to bear in mind? Don't you think... Because what does Peter write to suffering Christians? Does he say this? Does he does he write to them and say, oh, oh, you're suffering? Okay, take every day at a time. That's the message. Or does he say, oh, oh, be kind to yourself if you're suffering? No. Peter reminds them of their identity in Christ. And then he says what? He says, you're suffering. Focus on others. You're suffering. Focus on loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, man, doesn't that resonate with us just now? Doesn't it resonate with you? Because, you know, I've said it to you before, and you know what it's like. In lockdown, we've got this tendency to focus on ourselves, don't we? Like, in lockdown, we think about our troubles, we think about our problems and our scenarios, situations, and we're seeing here that is 
that's clearly not what God desires. So how do we do this? Like we're supposed to love each other, we're not even seeing each other. Well, I'll tell you what, can I suggest this to you? I'll put it up on the screen in fact, see if you can follow this. Let me suggest the ABCs of lockdown love. Alright, the ABCs of lockdown love in, in terms of application. So you're ready for these? A is attend. Attend. See, I don't know how many times over the last number of weeks and months I've heard this phrase. The phrase, I am all zoomed out. <laughs> You've heard that phrase, you know what it means, don't you? Like people today in lockdown are just fatigued with another virtual call, another virtual online meeting. Now I think, especially in the life of the church, we can think like this. We can think, not another prayer meeting, not another virtual Zoom call, not another uh, house group online, not another uh, Sunday school meeting online. And we can think, well, I'm not getting much out of this and it's fatiguing and it's tiring and I will give this one a miss. Well, I'm, I'm here before you and I'm urging you to just to flick your attitude round. Let's think about that. Let's re- put it in reverse because we need to focus on the fact that people in our congregation today, some are really lonely. Some people are really down. Some people are really hurting. And it means so much to people to tune into some of these Zoom calls and to see the faces of their Christian family, to see their brothers and, and, you know, and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am urging us all to do that. Let's attend. And I, I don't mean let's just go in and just have our audio on, just our name and not call. No, I'm, I mean, like, let's get involved. Let's turn up to these meetings, the 20s and 30s, the pre- let's Let's zoom in. Let's have our faces. Let's contribute. And why for these people? Let's contribute to, to encourage our Christian family and to show our brothers and sisters in Jesus we genuinely care. A, we attend. B, let me bring it up. B, let us bring Christians to God in prayer. See, maybe you're sitting there thinking, wow, this sermon is distant to my experience. This sermon is not hitting my life at all. You're sitting there thinking maybe, I simply do not love my Christian family. I I know these people and I socialise with them and I worship, but I don't love the saints. If you're thinking a bit like that, then surely you see that that cannot continue. And here's where we begin. Friends, you must pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Prayer, hear that. Prayer is the solution to an unloving heart. Can I ask you, are there Christians at LCPC that you really don't like, that really get on your wick, really get on your nerves? Are there Christians at LCPC that you simply do not know? Then I would urge you to pray for them. Listen, pray at love for these people. Pray in detail for these people. Pray daily for these people. Pray for their spiritual well-being, for the growth in grace. Pray for blessing on their lives. Do that. We will learn to love. So we attend, we bring Christians to God. See, though, is that we must contact Christians. And you've heard me say that, like, loads of times before, but we need to say it again. See, think about us just now. What is this? This is Sunday, this video, right? Sunday, and the day of what? Rest, yeah, a day of worship, a day of acts of mercy. As well. Look, what better day, what better time than this afternoon for you and I to write 
or email a brother and sister in Christ. What better time than today to pick up the phone or to Zoom call, to Skype, to FaceTime another Christian, to ask them how they're doing, to, to tell them that we're praying for them, to pray with them at the time, to show them that we care. Because this is challenging. Surely it is. Friends, listen. In First Peter here, God suggests nothing. God recommends nothing. In First Peter here, God commands. And God commands a sincere brotherly love. So, an action. Right, second. <coughs> excuse me. Let's consider some arguments. Some arguments. Now, I am a, a, a numpty as a dad. I'm a total failure as a, as a father, you know. But there is one uh, thing that I've learned over the years. And that is that rather than just simply telling my children to do something, that it is much more effective if I will explain to my children why whatever it is that I've told them to do is important. You can maybe picture that if you know my youngest child, Juliet. You know, like I can tell Juliet to do stuff till I am blue in the face, but I find that it is much more effective to explain to her why that thing that I'm telling her to do is important. There's more chance that she will comply. Not much more chance, but there's a little bit more of a chance that Juliet might uh, comply. Why am I talking about that? Well, we see something really similar here. See, to his obedient children, as God calls us in, in chapter 1, God does not simply say, love one another. No, what God does in this section is amazing, really. He explains why this command is so important. Isn't that great? In fact, God actually gives us two reasons why loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is so key. And they're reasons that are rooted in a couple of metaphors. And are you know with me? Like, I want to know that. Like, I don't, you know, I want to know, why is it so important that I love and, uh, these other Christians? Why is that so important to God? Don't you want to know that? Right, let's see if we can get the metaphors. Have a look, first of all, at verse 23. Let's bring it up. So, do you see that he speaks about new birth? So, birth. And then speaks about seed that brings about the birth. So, without putting too fine a point of it, he's talking about fatherhood, the seed that produces new birth, fatherhood. Now, what's the point? You know, what's, why? Well, yes, God is showing us how incredibly special our spiritual lives are. Do, Do you see that the seed that has brought about our spiritual birth, he says, is the, the seed is the word of God. The word of God himself is, is the seed that has brought us to new life. So yeah, we see that, but what? <laughs> what are you thinking right now? You know what, I'm, I'm thinking, what has that got to do with me loving Gabriel, or me loving Jillian, or, or, or Adrian, or whoever it... You see, like, verse 22, you must love your Christian brother. Verse 23, because you're born... But the word of God? What's the connection? Well, have a look again at the text. Do you see that the comparison here is between the 
the, the, the fleeting, passing nature of our present life and the enduring nature of our spiritual life. Do you see that? Look, look, at, look at the verse. We, we now are not born of perishable seed, but it is, like it's, it's, an, it's an imperishable seed. Carry on, look. Look at it. The all flesh withers, like our, our lives wither, but what's true of the word of God? It remains, like the contrast between our present nature fleeting, our spiritual life, think about it, our spiritual life endures. Do you see the point? What's the question we're asking? We're saying, what's this got to do with Philadelphia, with brotherly love? Do you not see it? Why is it so important that I love the saints? Why is it so important that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Why? Listen, because these are the relationships that last. These are the relationships that are eternal. These are the relationships that continue on. And that might... That might be confusing for us. That might even be daunting to us. But I think fundamentally it is incredibly exciting for the Christians at London City Presbyterian Church. Because do you see what it means? We have the opportunity to invest in relationships right now that not only glorify God and not only reap heavenly reward. These are relationships that will last and last and last and last forevermore. There's a metaphor of fatherhood, but we said two reasons why we've got to love our, our brothers and sisters and why that's important. So let's see if we can get the second metaphor. Have a look at verse 22. In fact, see if you can work out the metaphor when I read it. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, love. Having purified. Now maybe you can see, can you, the metaphor there is that of the temple the Jews, as we learn in John 11, for example, the Jews would go up to the temple to outwardly purify themselves. And Peter here is using that language. But do you see what he's talking about? Here in that verse, he is talking about your conversion. Your conversion, you're coming to faith. Isn't that right? Think about it. The truth is a way that the New Testament very often talks about the gospel, isn't it? And what has God done for you, Christian friend, by grace? By giving you repentance, by giving you faith, he has given you an obedience to that truth that sees you purified. He's talking, Peter's talking here about your conversion. Now, awesome, that sounds just great, but it is the next word that just blows my mind. Look at the next word. It is a purpose clause. It's the word for do you see it? Peter is about to tell us part of the reason why we're converted. Part of the reason God has called us to himself. And what is it? Read it. Read it. Think, think about it. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. For having been converted for a sincere brotherly love. Do you see why I'm saying it blows my mind, blows my socks off? Do you see it? Part of the reason that God has called us to himself is what? is so that we will love our Christian family. Part of the very reason, part of the purpose of our salvation is to love our Christian family and Christian friends. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it fly in the face of that sort of one-dimensional view we have of the gospel? Oh, we believe, we pray, we might go to heaven in the end. No, like the gospel is incredibly powerful. We're seeing here that the gospel has the power to transform Everything in us, everything about us, it has the power to transform our very relationships 
a London City Presbyterian Church. Isn't it something? So maybe you and I need to reassess things. Maybe you and I need to reassess our priorities. Because what are we seeing here? We are seeing that in God's sight, our relationships with our Christian friends and family, they are essential. They are eternal. And these relationships are part of the very purpose, the very reason that we have been saved. So we see an action and we see some arguments. Third thing, follow it. Third thing, here it is. It is an abandonment. An abandonment. Okay, a moment ago we uh, considered how we can love each other in lockdown. But I don't know about you, but I'm certainly looking forward to a time where there is no lockdown. So what do we need to think about? We need to think about not only how can we love our Christian family here today, but how we can love our Christian family tomorrow. Do you see? Like, how can we love our Christian family when all of this ends and we're back as a community together? You see? We need to ask that, right? Well, as we go into chapter 2, what Peter does is he turns his attention really to practicalities. What he does is he gives us a list, and it's a list of vices. Listen to me, it's so important. Peter gives us a list of things that not only eat away at Christian love, but before us now is a list of of things that actually destroy Christian unity. I'd say Christian effectiveness too, but Christian love. It's so important we get this. We follow the list. Look, I'll bring it up in front of you. So what are we to avoid? Have a look at them. You and I are to avoid malice in the church. Something you probably can see is a general term for all sorts of ill will towards people. So there's malice. But then the next two we can take together, can't we? Do you see them there? That is deceit and hypocrisy. Do you see what links those things, deceit and hypocrisy? They're both about pretense, being disingenuous. You know, Christians claiming to love one another, but, 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 but really holding up hatred in our heart. What's the next one? You see, envy, that doesn't need much comment, does it? We're jealous of other Christians, but look at the last on the list. Oh, baby, look at it. Oh, slander. The great plague on the Christian church. Not just the idea of us spreading lies, spreading falsehood, but the idea of us disparaging Christians and doing so behind their back. Man, isn't it a horrible list? Dare I suggest it's horrible because we see our reflection in First Peter chapter 2 there. So what are we going to do with this list? Well, what I would suggest we do is linger on what Peter tells us to do with these vices. And here I just want to, like there's, there's some kids, younger people watching. I just want to speak to you just for a second. Okay, so if you're, for a, if you're a child, if you're younger, a boy, girl, listen to me for a second. See, I want to speak to you because you know what it's like when you are given and told to wear a really uncomfortable item of clothing, aren't you? And yeah, boys and girls, you know when your mum is there's nothing, there's nothing worse than when your mum makes you wear a really itchy jumper or an itchy shirt or something. It's just the worst thing in the world, isn't it? There's nothing worse in the world than that. Okay, well, boys and girls, when I was young, much younger than you, um, my grandmother 
bought me something that was called a balaclava. Okay, a balaclava. And I am guessing that some of you don't know what a balaclava is. So what I've done, what I've done is I have found a photo of me wearing this balaclava. So here it is. See that thing around my head? That is a balaclava. It looks like I've just polished off a digestive biscuit as well, doesn't it? Right, so there's uh, the balaclava. Now, this is what you need to know about that balaclava. I hated it. Oh, I hated it. I mean, who, who in their right minds would make a balaclava out of wool? Like, it, it was the itchiest thing in all the world. So you've got to understand, boys and girls, I just, when I had that on, I just was longing for that time. I would get home and people rip that balaclava off my head and just chuck it away. I just wanted to get rid of it. Now, wait, look back at the text here. Look at the beginning of this chapter. Look at the phrase that's for chapter two. What are we to do with this list of vices? Do you see Peter says we are to put it away or cast it off? You've got to understand that that's a similar sort of idea to the balaclava. Do you see it? To pursue Christian love, love in the church. What are we to do with these vices? We are to rip off all hints of ill will. We're to rip it off like that balaclava. Throw away all malice. And I want to suggest to all of you just now, we need to watch ourselves right now today. Because I think, again, you know what it's like, right? We are not seeing each other, certainly not in person. And isn't it the case when, when that's the reality... It's much easier for us to fall into ill will and malice towards one another, isn't it? We're told so often that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, I have a maybe a more realistic view of the human heart. Isn't it true that sometimes absence makes the heart grow more bitter? You see, friends, we have to watch our heart, we have to watch our words, and we have to seek to cast off all that hinders and all that eats away at Christian love. So an action, some arguments, an abandonment. The last of these things today is an accompaniment. An accompaniment. Because we've seen, right? What have we seen? We've seen that we are to love. We've seen why we are to love. We've seen how we are to love. What's next? Well, as Peter closes this section, he actually gives you a second imperative, a second command. So I would ask you just to, to read it here with me. Do you, you see it? He says uh, this. He says, like newborn infants. You can see the connection there. A new birth in the previous section, now newborn infants. So like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now this is what I'm going to do, just to make sure that you're with me here, not distracted with all the other things going on. I'm going to put this back up on the screen, that verse. And I want you right now just to think about what questions you need answered from that phrase. So what questions come to mind? Look at it there, look. I'll say it again, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by you might grow up. Now, what, what questions come to mind? You know what? The first question that comes to mind for me is, like, what is the milk? Like, if I have to long for the spiritual milk, I, I need to know, well, what, what am I longing for? What am I supposed What's the milk, right? Well, you need to understand that there is a very, very subtle word play happening here in the, in the Greek, okay? 
Okay? Uh, Peter uses quite an unusual word. Not the normal word for spiritual. He uses an unusual word. And I think it's wordplay. And I think you're going to get it. Right? It's not just too technical. I think we can all get it. Most of us can get it. If I just say the words, you'll think about what the wordplay is and what he's trying to get us to think about. Here's the word for spiritual. Uh, logikos. Logikos. Logi. What's the milk? The logos. Isn't it? That here Peter is encouraging us, in fact he is commanding us to long for the Logos, the word of Almighty God. In fact the idea is very similar to a verse in James. James one twenty one says, put away all wickedness. That sounds like, you know, cast off the balaclava of malice, doesn't it? Put away all wickedness and receive the implanted word. Right? So you're with me? We're to crave what? We're to be longing after spiritual milk, the word of God, the preaching, the reading, the study of the scripture. Okay, fine. What's the second question that we got to ask there? Right? The second question, surely this. How? I, I guess weird, isn't it? To get a command. I command you to long for this thing. It's really strange. Like we're to, we're to crave. The word, but how, how can that be a command? How are we supposed to, to, to do that? Well, I think the answer is in verse 3. Look, I'll bring it up. Look, get it? Do you see it there? Like it's a, like logically it kind of comes before verse 2. Peter quotes Psalm 34 and he's saying, if, or, or rather, since you have tasted that, that God is good, crave after spiritual milk. Did you see the idea? It's the idea of craving after food because you can remember how good it is. Do you see it? If not, think about it like this. It happened to me last month. Really did. You know, I was uh, looking over my wife's shoulder as she did one of these lockdown Tesco online deliveries, okay? And they're, you know what, husbands are like really annoying, sort of looking over the shoulder, checking out what she's ordering. And then it happened. I saw advertised on the website, wait for it, I saw advertised, <gasps> Monster Munch Crisps, right? You know, an essential for any lockdown. But I saw them there and it just, it all came flooding back. Like I hadn't, I hadn't tasted those crisps in like 30 years but see when I was a kid I just loved oh pickled onion monster munch was the greatest thing in the world so what happened I was longing for them remembered how good they were so I was saying to Catherine get those things into that basket now I need need some of those monster munch crisps and don't you see in a much more elevated way that is what we are commanded to do here isn't it Christian friend we have tasted that God is sweet and God is good and if we will only linger on that and recall that what will happen we will begin to long more and more and more for 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 God in his word a word that will teach us how to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're done right or nearly because it's so easy to look at a portion of scripture like this and to think about what we must do for God. It'd be really easy to overlook what God has done for us. But you just think about that opening phrase of our section today. Think about the reality of the gospel. By grace, Christian friend, what's true? Your heart 
Your soul, everything about you is made pure before God in Christ. That you are to be cleansed entirely of your sin before God. And that is an amazing thing to think, having purified our souls by obedience to the truth. We are pure before the Almighty. But what I would love you to do as you leave this video, if you're a Christian, is just to linger on how that has come about. Because surely it's the case we are able to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you and I in Christ are the recipients of the greatest conceivable act of brotherly love. Isn't that it? Isn't that it? You and I have received the, the, the beneficiaries of the, the, the greatest act of brotherly love we imagine. But what has happened? What has happened? Before we loved him, what's happened? That the one who is now our elder brother, he has given us his righteousness. And our, the one who is our elder brother, he has received from us punishment, condemnation. That the one who is now our elder brother, he loves us so much. He has laid down his life that we might be saved. When we linger on that, we, we want to love our Christian friends, don't we? We can do that. We must do it. Why? Because you and I, Christian friend, we are a people who have tasted and we have seen that God is good. Friends, let us bow our heads together. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we have uh, much to linger on. We have much to we have much to repent. Lord, malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, Lord, slander. These are uh, evident in our lives. These are part of our characters. They must be mortified and, and put to death. Help us, we pray. But we thank you, Lord God, for your your grace to us, your goodness to us. We thank you that you have purified our souls by giving us obedience to your truth, your gospel. Help us to, therefore, love you and to love the saints. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, for his name's sake. Amen.